Hi, this is Anthony Pascal. And this is Lori Elster, and this is the All Access Star Trek podcast. Today, we are going to be taking a deep dive into short treks. But first, before we dig into that, there is some news to cover, including the record-breaking Voyager documentary. The documentary campaign was exactly one month long, so at midnight at the end of March, um, they wrapped up with 1.2 million, 1.260,245, you know, if you want to get specific, um, which is almost double what they got from the DS9 doc um, a few years ago. It's amazing. I'm not surprised in a way because I think Voyager is more popular than anybody realizes. But that's incredible. They did such great work getting all of that and getting people mobilized to help. I mean, we're in the middle of a pandemic, you know, and I don't know <laughs> if that's helping people want to contribute more or not. But, you know, there's economic crisis. And so it's just it's kind of amazing. Perhaps even though this is actually, as Dave Zappone mentioned last week, this is the third time they've done it because they did it with the Spock doc as well. Um, but I think the DS9 doc certainly proved the concept of crowdfunding and people, because obviously after X and R, people are wary of crowdfunding in general, but these guys are trusted and obviously all the stars of the show are backing. I think that had a lot to do with kind of the final push, Kate Mulgrew and Garrett, of course, and all sorts of, you know, Dana and... You know, everyone was kind of pushing. My favorite thing, of course, was so the, the, the record breaking documentary of all time as they started this was this Frank Zappa documentary uh, produced and directed by Alex Winter from, you know, Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. And um, that had like 1.1 something million raised on kickstarter and he actually jumped in you know as, as they approached the end to help push them over the top and offer his support so i, I love that, that. Pretty... i th i think that's so cool it's nice that these that they don't view it as competition but as like that's better for everybody if these documentaries can raise more money all right next up is that <laughs> we're actually finally gonna get a day full of star trek news on first contact day so for the first time uh cbs or paramount plus now but it's cbs um are putting together a series of virtual panels on first contact day which is april 5th which is the kind of unofficial official star trek holiday <laughs> and uh it's gonna be a lot like if you guys remember last september on star trek day which is the anniversary of the original series um, they did the same kind of thing and there's a, this time there's going to be a mix of, um, panels looking backwards. Um, there's going to be, uh, one about Star Trek first contact cause this is the 25th anniversary of the film. And Alice um, Krieg is going to be on that one, which should be fun. Right. Well, with Patrick Stewart, Jonathan Frakes and Brent Spiner. Yes. Very star-studded. I mean, I kind of wish... You know me, I always like a good behind-the-scenes. I know. You know so where, I where is Brog? I mean, yeah. obviously, Frakes is both, because he directed it. But it would have been nice for them to have Braga or Ron Moore as well. But um, I mean, Ron Moore's super busy right now. I think Brandon Braga's pretty busy. But I agree that it would have been nice to have them on there. And I think, overall, there's a... 
I don't know if they realize, like sort of the keepers of New Trek realize how interested we all are in writers in particular. Regardless, um, I am very excited about that. Um, and then they're doing a second contact panel uh, <laughs> with uh, Mike McMahon uh, of Star Trek Lower Decks. But this really, actually, what I love about this is it's not really about Lower Decks. Its theme is um, the B stories, primarily, I think, TNG, but also other series, and how those fit into Lower Decks. And they've got... Brent Spiner, Jonathan Frakes, and Paul F. Tompkins, along with Mike McMahon, to talk about it. So that, I think, will be extremely enjoyable. Paul F. Tompkins is one of the co-hosts of the official podcast, and he knows his trek backwards and forwards, and he's a lot of fun. There's a Woman in Motion panel. Tawny Newsom, Michelle Hurd. Isa Brionis is on it, too, I think. It's Women in Star Trek, especially Nichelle Nichols. Women in Motion is the name of the documentary, which we reviewed a few weeks ago. And is well um, worth your time, by the way. Absolutely. So that'll be a fun panel. There's another one on costumes with Gersha Phillips. All of this stuff will be great. We love the behind-the-scenes people, so I'm looking forward to that one as well. But uh, the fifth panel... Um, is the one that almost certainly will be newsy, and that is the Star Trek Prodigy panel um, with Kate Mulgrew, who's star of the show, um, and the Hageman brothers, who are uh, the creators of the show, and you know from Troll Hunters and um, Emmy winners, and this is kind of the first Star Trek Prodigy panel there ever has been in any forum. And I think we're going to see her character, what she looks like in it for the first time. I, I think they're going to have a trailer. I, I, I mean, yeah. we keep on to saying, why haven't we seen Prodigy yet? And when are they going to do it? And I'm still assuming it's going to show up by the summer. Maybe sooner. I mean, may, maybe even as early as May. But it's definitely coming this year. Yeah. Right. Yeah, there's no doubt we're going to see what Kate's character looks like. Well, I mean, I'm sure there's doubt. I mean, it's possible. Um, <laughs> you know, we went rats. through com- we went through Comic Con last year, all those virtual panels, hoping f- to see lots of stuff, and we didn't. So you never know. They're bringing in the showrunners. They're bringing in Kate. So I suspect we're going to get trailer and a release date. And so. some some details on the show. I mean, there's a lot of stuff we don't know about the show. We don't know when it is set. We don't know where it is set. We don't know the nature of Janeway, even though we think we know because we have the hologram theory, which I guess we're going to have to write up for the website because we want to get that out there, kind of put our stake in the ground before this actual panel shows up. Um, but we've been talking about that here on the pod. So by the next podcast next friday we'll probably be talking about prodigy and all of these other panels and uh for anyone who's watching before then what's going on they'll ha- we'll have articles on the site covering all the news as well so a couple weeks ago we talked about wondercon there was an official cbs panel on science which included dr aaron mcdonald there were a couple cool things that came out of that panel. One is she kind of explained how there was a kind of scientific reason where they developed one for why Michael showed up a year later, which was because of time dilation within the wormhole. Just to be clear, you're talking about Star Trek Discovery season opener of season three. 
Right. Okay. Right. Just so. wanted to context that for everybody. <laughs> yes. So she talked a lot about how as a science advisor, she's now a full-time science advisor. She's no longer in academia. She's devoted entirely to Star Trek. She, in fact, not only that, she's now said that she's writing for Star That's Trek. That's so great. I'm I'm so happy for her. I don't know her, but I just think that's fantastic. I love when any fan gets to make it their profession. Right. She's a huge Star Trek fan. I mean, we've seen this before. Andre Bormanis um, went from science advisor to writer on Star Trek, and he's now on the Orville as well. And uh, Noreen Shankar was also a Star Trek writer, but first he was a science advisor, and you know he's gone on yeah. to create The Expanse. And it's good because she's in the writers' room. Actually, I'm not sure which writers' room she's in. Maybe she's in all of them, you know. But so she's able to kind of work on the fly. But she talked about how she n- tries to never say no to them, um, but admitted sometimes things don't exactly make sense and. Um, she doesn't kind of fake the science and, and, and the, what was funny was, um, the, the panel was hosted by Anthony Rapp, um, who's a bit of a nerd himself. And he kind of joked about that's when they use the hand waving, right? So, uh, you know, cause we saw a little bit of that in season three where some stuff were like, yada, 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 that doesn't make sense, but you know, let's, let's move on. But at least she doesn't techno babble BS her way through it. You know, they just kind of hand wave and move on as opposed to trying to actually say something makes sense when it might not at all. And let's face it in the history of Trek, like they have done lots of great stuff with stories around science and scientific principles. And there's also been a lot of hand waving and stories that don't quite really make any kind of sense. Exactly. So we're still in award season and there's actually a new award, a new honor that we just learned about this week, which is the Art Directors Guild is giving John Eves a Lifetime Achievement Award. Yeah. Uh, he's a concept illustrator. He's started working on Star Trek back in the 80s, actually, on Star Trek Five. He wasn't credited. He was working for a company that built some models, but um, he was then brought on to DS9. He worked on all the TNG movies except Generations. He, I think he's the only person, there's probably maybe some people at ILM, but he's the only person who's gone from Berman Trek to JJ Trek yeah. to Kurtzman Trek. I mean, there may be some guy at ILM or some other FX company, but he's certainly the only one who's worked on staff you know, at CBS slash Paramount for all three eras. John Eves is kind of this through line. And he's done so much design work for Star Trek. They He wrote a book about it in yeah. 2018 um, called The Art of John Eves. Um, all Star Trek art. Because the thing is, he's done stuff for tons oh, yeah. of other movies. Like the Marvel. He's done a lot of Marvel stuff. He's done Hunt for Godzilla, Red Batman, like yeah, yeah. all these different things. Yeah, Die Hard 2. There's, he's got a lot of great yeah. credits. So well-deserved. And I think it's cool that they're having Herman Zimmerman, who's you know another award-winning Star Trek designer, um, who uh, Herman does the insides while John does the outsides. Yeah. 
<laughs> of the ships. Exactly. Uh, I mean, John's John's biggest thing is probably designing the Enterprise E uh, for the TNG movies, the yep. Sovereign class. Uh, very few people have designed an Enterprise, um, and he's one of them. And you could watch the event live. It's on April 10th, um, so the links are on our site. Now, another Star Trek veteran got a special honor this week. Now, here's an achievement award. <laughs> um, you know, what's funny is last week we were talking about William Shatner. You can't stop him, 90 years old. And it's like, yeah, you know, and he just keeps on going. So he's, now he's in his 91st year and he's starting that off by being inducted into the <laughs> Wrestling Hall of Fame um, in the special celebrity wing you know because he's never actually wrestled but he's appeared many times on wwe now of course because it's bill shatner all of his appearances were essentially promotional events um for his various projects and tv shows but he really got into it i mean in the 90s he had a beef a feud <laughs> um, with jerry lawler who's a famous wrestler for you non-wrestling i'm i'm not really wrestling i but i um, we have a Joe who writes for Trek movies, big into wrestling. And so he fully briefed me on his, and he wrote up <laughs> an article on this. The article's um, great. <laughs> yeah. It's there's all these videos of, of yeah. Chatner back in the day in the nineties. And then he, co and then he hosted wrestling show in 2010. And he did his kind of special Shatner-esque rendition of various famous wrestling entrance songs. Which is a category in itself that I wouldn't have thought existed, but apparently it does. Oh, it's a whole subgenre, I guess. <laughs> yeah. um, and, you know, and, and Bill did it in the only way he can. So that's just great. So William Shatner will never stop. Last week, we were also talking about Leonard Nimoy's, uh, what would have been his 90th birthday. Um, and the city of Boston had declared his birthday, which was last Friday, Leonard Nimoy Day. So that was before our podcast uh went out that announcement but then after our podcast went out on friday uh the boston museum of science announced that they are now developing a special monument to Leonard nimoy and, and his famous vulcan salute um, which will reside on the grounds of the museum it's going to be a tall lattice stainless steel statue you may remember last year we we wrote an article about how some people were working on this idea but they didn't have the funding and they didn't have the you know a final location um but this has the support of the nimoy family uh they still are working on getting the funding together but it looks like it's going to happen and i just think that's great yeah, they said it's a few blocks away from where he was born, which is kind of sweet. And we have a link up on the site if you want to contribute to this. They are definitely looking for more donations. So that's it for the news of the week. For this week, because All Access Star Trek launched in 2020, we're going to take a look back at another show that came out before this podcast exists, but is still part of the new Star Trek universe. And that is Star Trek Short Treks. Yeah, I I really love the intention of Star Trek Short Treks, which is experimentation. 
I think it evolved into that. Yeah. I, I think the initial intention was a little more practical, which is if you go back into the Wayback Machine, Star Trek Discovery came out in 2017. And it was CBS All Access, and this was before the merger, and they had very little original content, and this was their flagship show, and they were seeing how a lot of people would subscribe when Star Trek was on, and then they would leave, right? And CBS weren't cool with that. Um, They call that churn. And so they were going to Alex Kurtzman saying, okay, you know, you know, we want some more Star Trek content. Give us some season two. And season two was taking a long time in post-production. And so he said, well, what if we did these? What if we just gave you some short Star Trek things, basically? So I don't, you know, it was born out of that. Yeah. Then it evolved into something more for sure. CBS wanted content. And these could be produced easily. Well, easily. Well, no, I was going to say not that easily because in interviews he says that it's just as challenging and it takes a lot of time um, because they still need all the same basics. Yeah, I mean, a lot of the same. They have fewer FX, um, fewer cast uh, members. Fewer. Yeah, very few cast members. Um, often just reusing the sets. Although they do create new sets and locations, but it's still, it's definitely smaller because it's shorter and lower budget. And so the first season came out in, so it was announced at Comic-Con 2018. And the first season came out in the fall of 2018, where they really (laughs) spread these out. It was one episode a month. Um subscription month one episode a subscription month so it's like (laughs) 12 12 minutes of star trek content um i'm not sure i i suspect a lot of fans just ended up subscribing in the last month i don't know um and just binged the series before season two because the final one came out in january 2019 right yeah and that was also the premiere of the second season of star trek discovery but even though I think the first the first batch of them, I guess season one of Short Treks, um, was primarily there to fill a, a gap, I think they already started to get experimental with it. I think there's you know there are four, and I think two of them are sort of fit in very well with Discovery, and then the other two were definitely attempts to try doing something quite different. And another thing they did with the show more in the second batch was not only experimenting with style and stuff, but experimenting with people. Yes. Um, So a lot of people who have become Star Trek regulars, the first thing they did was a short trek. And uh, so you see this with Michael Chabon and Mike McMahon, actually. Um, So they're kind of trial runs in a way. So let's start with Runaway, which is the first one. And it was about Tilly meeting her new friend, Poe, who's a queen, and food flying out of replicators. Um, <laughs> just in a nutshell, what what did you think of that one, Tony? Well, I think it was a great setup for the premise because it was s- simple story. It was focused on one character, Tilly, right? And she's the only 
um, known character in that. Um, and uh, it's, it's essentially a two person play, one act play kind of. Um, and we learn a lot about that one character. So it gives us some more depth and it allows the actor to have something to really uh, get into. And so I'm, you know, it's not the best of the series, but I think it, it set the series up well. Um, and it also had some fun world building with the Zahayans as the new, this new alien. I think it was the first thing Jenny Lumet ever did for Star Trek as well. So it was kind of her training wheels. Um, she's now gone on to, she's executive producer of Clarice straight. Yeah. And strange new worlds as, as well. So, you know, so, and she's written some more for, she's a busy for, woman. She's doing a lot yeah. of projects. Yeah. I liked it. I didn't love it, but I liked the concept. I, I liked the concept. So I immediately got, and I think when you watch that, you kind of get what short tricks is. So it's, it was a great starting jump. And Mary's great in it. Yeah. Very I funny. Mary's great in it and funny. I mean, I remember the first time I saw it, I, ke- I kept, I was, my brain pestered me with questions like, why isn't she telling anybody that there's an alien? Why isn't this happening? Why are there so few people? And then I just kind of eventually just let all that go and let it do what it's supposed to do. You have to, in your brain, I think, make some allowances for the bigger story. But yes, it was a good, simple, middle of the road starting point. And it had Mary facing off against her greatest nemesis, the food replicator. That's <laughs> true. And she is great. I love her and I could watch her as Tilly anytime. And short tricks were kind of presented as standalone things. But we also saw how these things could tie into the show more because it ended with... Um, the Zahayan Poe giving Tilly a gift. And I think you, you got the sense that, uh, that, you know, especially when they do the close up on the dilithium crystal that she hands her and you're like, this is going to, we're going to pick up on this thread in, in, in some future episode. And we did obviously. Um, And I think at the time they were probably leaving things open for themselves. Like we could, or we couldn't. And it's fine either way. Yeah, some of these they knew what they were doing, and we're going to get into this later. Well, they already knew how they were how this all tied in together. Other things they were leaving themselves breadcrumbs to pick up later, and in fact, that the second episode is a perfect example of that, which is Calypso. I still consider this to be the best of the entire series. Um, it was a triumphant entry of Michael Chabon into Star Trek. It was daring. Because there was, you know, it was there were no characters that we knew, except for the ship, right. which uh, you know is a character, and in fact they turned the ship into a character um, named Zora. But it was daring because it was at a different time, and it was not that things weren't connected, and we didn't really, you know, because a lot of starter friends want to see how everything fits together, and he's like, you know what, I just want to tell a Greek myth on the USS Discovery in the future. Yeah. And he did it. And it was beautiful. I totally agree. I, that was the only one that as soon as it was over, I watched it again immediately. I was so, I, I mean, I'm a Fred Astaire junkie also. 
I love Fred Astaire. So for me, my heart just swelled at the inclusion of Fred Astaire in the Star Trek franchise. But I also thought the I thought the Aldous Hodges, the star and the whole build up to that. It was just so well done. And they really I know it's short, but I feel like they let it breathe. The yeah, pacing well, this... was spot on. The writing was great. And the story was just, I mean, yes, it, it's a myth. It's a beautiful Greek myth, but it's also transported into this future world with all these new elements that we had to take in. Right. It's the first one where you really got a sense that not only will they be experimenting with story, but they're going to be experimenting with tone and with pacing. Because you know, the, the one with Tilly felt very Discovery. It felt like a Discovery B story, right? And a little um, bit rushed, maybe, in certain ways. Yeah. Whereas yeah. this didn't feel like it would, it was very undiscovery, except for the fact that it took place. But they even made the Discovery look different because it was lit different. Yeah. The Zor character was fascinating. And, it, you know, the, there's all these questions, lots of great little details um, tying it into. Uh, the original Greek myth, um, like the, the tattoo on his back and his name and all this kind of stuff. Um, and there were even little hints, you know, the Vedrash, which, you know, Shaban likes to go on Instagram and explain things. He's like, yeah, that is the Federation. <laughs> um, so you get your little bonus features if you dig into things. Um, this one certainly, I mean, th- I was fine with just this being its own little pocket great story. But of course, we've been since obsessed about connecting it. And with Discovery jumping into the 32nd century, it's now become an issue. <laughs> we've yeah. written like two or three articles on like, okay, well, how do you fit it? And we've always said, you know what, maybe you just don't. But then they the producers are saying, no, no, we're going to make it fit. So... Yeah, I mean, they, they Annabelle Wallace, who was the voice of Zora, suddenly we hear her on Discovery... And it's this combination of the sphere data and Discovery's computer. So I actually sort of wish they hadn't done that because I liked it as a standalone that we couldn't figure out. Yeah, I don't think they're ever going to. I mean, going back to the hand waving, I don't think they're ever going to make everything. I mean, the thing that's never going to make sense and they're going to have to jump through so many loops, hoops to make it make sense is the fact that the ship's been refit in the 32nd century, it's literally got a new designation because it's got the A now. Yeah. Um, you know, and it's detached nacelles. But then the future discovery, all of those refits are now gone. So it's been defit. I am into the idea of Zora becoming a character in season four of Star Trek Discovery. But I'm not sure we need them to explain the defit especially because they've got a thousand years to get to that. So, you know, they can leave that for some future. I'm not thrilled with Zora in one of those robots, but anyway, (laughs) we'll see. We'll see what happens. I also, I just, I, I liked it as a standalone myth. Yes. And it's the first mention of taco Tuesday in the star Trek canon. So that's an important. Yeah. Fred Astaire and taco Tuesday. I mean, that's an Audrey Hepburn. I mean, that's pretty big. I will say that since, I watched it. I've added Swonderful to my gigantic playlist of songs that I listen to. The third one, The Brightest Star, is the Saru backstory. This one seems to be developed together with the, the Saru Return to Kaminar episode, where we see his sister again. So this was all 
these are all kind of bookending each other in a sense. It's the same sets, same actress. It was, but whenever I watch it, I can't help but think that they hadn't worked out Saru's evolution and the Kelpian's evolution when they did it. Like there are some inconsistencies in terms of, I mean, I think this is a bigger issue in terms of Kelpians in general and how when they invented them, I I feel like they hadn't decided yet that they were going to show that they'd been sort of repressed from evolving into what they were supposed to be. I'm not sure if it's out there or not, whether they had figured out what who the Baul was and yeah. who the, um, and maybe if we get Bowie and Erica on here, we could talk about that. Cause I, I, I think you're right in that they hadn't worked out all those details yet. And certainly the Vaharai and how they were going to get rid of Saru's fear because, you know, Saru's arc in this Saru actually has a little bit of an arc in this, in that he kind of overcomes fear to reach out to the Federation unknowingly. Um, and, no, and that he's that he's a creative thinker, that he believed in an existence that was more than what he saw in front of him. I mean, all that in terms of individual character development, I thought was terrific. But I just, I feel like Kelpians, they made a shift that they hadn't planned from the beginning. I would say this is my least liked of the first group of four. I mean, it's fine. It's add something to that episode of... Season two of Discovery. Doug was good. Yeah, I thought um, Doug was terrific. Um, and it, it was nice to see Giorgio as Giorgio again. I guess prime Giorgio. She, and it explained that they have a special connection as well. She brought him from the planet. So, they, yes. you know, she's kind of his His first sponsor, contact. Literally. Um, I will say this was not my least favorite of the season. Because the next one is my least favorite. I get why you think that. I mean, I like I liked it. So this is so this brings us to the escape artist. This is now where they're now they're really experimenting. So they're like, okay, let's do comedy. Um, and this is Mike McMahon who wrote it, and it, this is his first contact with Star Trek. Rain Wilson came back as Harry Mudd and directed the episode, and it was all about Harry Mudd. I felt like. There was a punchline that worked, but that the journey to get there could have been so much more interesting and better than it was. I guess so. I mean, I just, I, I think Rain is great. I enjoyed it. I it do was light. I'm a big fan of his because of The Office. Like, I yeah. love The Office and I loved him on it. I really like Mike McMahon. I just felt like it wasn't an interesting journey and the payoff was funny, but wasn't worth all the rest of it to me. Maybe. I mean, a few good jokes like that. Was it a cudgel? Was that what they were talking about? That made me laugh. Right. But I just generally felt, it felt very, I'm going to, I'm going to get flack for this. Very male. That could be it. I am a guy. And so maybe I liked it more. I enjoyed the journey. Um, I liked all the different bounty hunters. But it was also definitely a bit of a nod to iMud with all the androids being able to create android duplicates. Obviously, he learned something useful from that experience. And he had they had one of the mud robots or androids was wearing the classic mud outfit. I just thought it was simple, fun. 
It had some great lines. You know, it's not great, but I, I'm thinking back to the time where season one of Discovery was super heavy. Once in a while, Tilly would say something funny. So this was them saying, look, we could do funny. And it wasn't hilarious, but it was, this is where they really were experimenting. And I appreciated the effort. And yeah. um, should we move on to the second group that showed up a year later? Sure. So a little context here. So we go through season two of Discovery, which introduced three characters from the USS Enterprise, which is Pike, One, and Spock, right? And as soon as season two wrapped up, uh, fans were saying, you know, give us the spinoff. And I don't think they were ready for that because I know for a fact that they were not signed up um, yeah. for anything. They didn't have options on these guys uh, to return. No, and I think uh, when they asked them, when they cast them for short treks, they did not. That was all that was on the table for those actors. Right. So they were test running Strange New Worlds for yep. sure. And that's why we got three short treks with the same characters, although not all of them appear in all of them. And they're, you know, they, they were using the Enterprise sets. Yeah. Let's talk about Q&A as the first one in that batch. Which I think is the best of the three kind of returns to the USS Enterprise. Yeah, I agree. Although the first time I saw it, I was so... It was uns- like, what is happening? In fact, I was with Joe from Trek Movie. He was visiting and we were watching it together and kept turning at each other, turning to each other with our mouths open, going, what is happening <laughs> when the singing started? Yeah, that was a little much. But remember, this is proto Spock. This is Ensign Spock. <laughs> I love the nod at the beginning, right? Because he comes on the ship and he's yelling. Yeah. Right. And she says, stop yelling. And of course, the joke about Spock is in the first pilot. Um, the women. He, yep. The women. <laughs> so, <laughs> which is his only time he yells, and except for when he's like under the control of something or whatever. But he's not Spock Spock. I mean, he's still not Spock Spock in season two of Discovery, and he won't be fully Spock in strange new world so this is even earlier and so i liked how they were kind of playing that up he started with that little smile which she pointed out but the best thing about this is they were leaning into how spock and number one are essentially the same character in gene roddenberry's head right 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 and that you know he created number one and then he was told you know you you can't have a woman you know, in that position of power on the ship. And a woman and so, who wasn't emotional. Those were two two issues. <laughs> right. So he basically created Spock, but gave Spock essentially most of the characteristics, but then turned him into a Vulcan and, you know, history was made. So in a way, I'm kind of glad that those idiots at NBC did what they did because it turned out, even though they didn't intend it, it spurred, Roddenberry to create Spock, which is the most iconic Star Trek character of all time. But I, I thought that the singing, which struck me as so incomprehensible at first, I ended up loving. And I've watched that one again, just for the pure joy of that scene, that part of it where they're singing. I think it, it turned out to be terrific. This is, again, Michael Chabon. The two short tricks that he wrote show how good he is. 
when he's not working on a committee. You know what I mean? And how much he likes old musicals. But yes, I agree with you. When he's allowed to run free with his own vision, it's very compelling. Yeah. And it's very different from other things that you've seen, but still with the Star Trek love and reverence built into it. And we also got kind of some important backstory here. The establishment of number one's name is Una. We learn who the engineer of the Enterprise is, at least at this point, who's a Scottish woman, right? We never see her, but oh, yeah. we hear her. Yep. Uh, you know, so just some good world building um, for the USS Enterprise here. There was also some controversy, I would say, and I know this came up within our own group. I remember Kayla from Trek Movie talking about this because she felt unhappily so that number one was telling Spock, repress your true nature, that Spock had an interest in um, smiling and being more emotional, maybe more of his human side, and that she was telling him to repress it. And I felt more that she was trying to guide him on a path that would be better for him than to than telling him to repress his true nature. I, I go back and forth on that. Yeah, it's controversial, but I kind of that's Michael Chabon. He's not. There's no easy answers here because there is a fundamental issue with Spock and with Vulcans in that logic isn't in their nature. It's a philosophy. It's a religion, in a sense. It's a belief system. So it's debatable whether it's good for an entire species to be repressing their emotions the way they do, right? Right. I do, But I think it was meant to be more of a conversation starter than a conversation ender. Also, the music is fantastic. Season one was all Jeff Russo. And I thought he, he changed up the music, both from his Discovery music and... Each one of season one episodes fit well with the tone of that episode. So I thought the music was really good. For season two, it was all um, different composers. So each one had a different composer, I believe. And this first one was Naomi Melamod. Am I getting that right? Yeah, I don't know how to say her name. Nami Melamod. But her the big deal is that she is, believe it or not, the first woman ever to score an episode of Star Trek. Which is crazy, but great that they finally did it. But wow, I can't believe how long it took. And getting into this experiment, experimentation thing, Alex liked what she did so much, he hired her to be the full-time composer for Star Trek Prodigy. So congratulations. Right. And um, just another good behind-the-scenes note is Mark Pellington, who directed this. When I'd first heard of him years ago was because he was the king of music videos. So I was working at MTV for years, and so his name was on all of those videos. And then he went on to do movies, Arlington Road, and all these other big ones. But he's done a lot of concert films uh, like for bands and a lot of music videos, so it makes sense that he was brought in to do this singing one for sure. Okay, so now we finally have to deal with... <laughs> The trouble with the trouble with Edward. Yeah. The second group of short treks was experimenting. This was an experiment. It went wrong, but I'm glad they tried. I think they were saying, let's see how funny we could make it. And they had a lot of great components, right? So, you know, everyone involved with this, they were all comedy people. Right. right? I mean, Graham Wagner, who wrote it, 
has been on Silicon Valley, Portlandia, Baskets, wrote a couple of episodes for The Office. So this is a guy with comedy chops. Right. And I'm a huge fan of H. John Benjamin. You know, yes, I, uh, I love too. Archer and Bob's Burgers. And he's fantastic and very funny. And I'm also a big fan of Rosa Salazar, who I knew from Parenthood and adored her on it. She was great. So even though we're calling this part of the package of three with Pike, Pike is barely in it. It's basically on a different ship, and it's focused on a new character who's the captain of this ship transferring from the Enterprise, which I guess opens up a slot for Spock to raise. I think this is, if you want to tie it in, um, she, the head of the science division had to leave, so Spock moved up in rank, I guess. I right? think you can't tie this one in because of what happens in it. <laughs> it just doesn't make right. sense within the Star Trek universe that we know. I mean, this doesn't make sense in a lot of ways. The tone was way off. It was too broad. It was too silly. It makes no sense that this character played by Benjamin was in Starfleet, and you could say, well, they kind of noted that. It's like, no, you know, he was just an immoral person and um petty, small. She yeah, wasn't it, she wasn't a very good captain. She didn't deal with the situation well at all. This was a parody. This is the thing that J, you know, JJ was so worried about this when he was making the Star Trek movies whenever they got into humor is like we never want we don't want to be Galaxy Quest. We don't want to be a parody of Star Trek. This thing Mike McMahon got right on his first yeah. foray, which was the Mud episode and certainly on Lower Decks, which is you could be funny without being a parody because Star Trek fans will not accept something that is just doesn't feel right and it's just everything about this feels wrong and even though i mean maybe it's possibly funny to someone who's a fan of sitcoms and just watches this and knows very little about star trek but you know as a star trek fan you watch this and you you have kind of an antibody response to it it's, it's, it's just... a visceral reaction where you go no no <laughs> And yeah. yet, I would say, like, their whole exchange, my favorite part, I think, is her whole, like, that's the end of the conversation, and he keeps trying to continue the conversation, but it's also because I like the two actors so much. Right. So that That's a great comedy scene. It's kind of a classic thing that you see in some sitcoms, and as I was watching that, I'm like, I could see all of these comedy people making a funny scene, but all of this is just so wrong that it's just not working, and... yeah. Um, you know, and, and, and the way it violates canon, it sets up that he actually created Tribbles to be, you know, and it, you know, how did the Klingons not know that the Federation created the Tribbles in the way that they were, which is breeding, being born pregnant. And how did Kirk and his team not know that there was a concern that about Tribbles breeding and how quickly right. they breed? Because this seemed to be like McCoy's the one who figured it out. So there was no Starfleet database. McCoy examined the Tribbles. This guy goes crazy and dies. That like is like weird and upsets the light, funny tone of this whole thing. It's suddenly... And you're supposed to think it's funny when he dies. Yeah, it's like, that's not funny. No. You know, I'm kind of glad this episode exists because they found the line, that which is what Short Treks, I guess, is there to do. And they're like, okay. Now we know where the line is, and let's not step over that line again. <laughs> <laughs> sure. Lesson learned. <laughs> 
Now, I think you and I don't agree on this one. I, I like the third pike. This is the pikiest of the pikes. I guess I I like Anson in this one. I like how this is Ask Not, and it's him kind of giving a unknown test to uh, to recruit a, a cadet. You know, it, it reminds me of the TNG episode Coming of Age with uh, Wesley. I, I I enjoyed it. I didn't like it as much. I there were things about it that didn't quite make sense. First of all, even from the very beginning, where they they bring him in and he's covered, he's got this thing on his head so she can't see who he is, and they ask her if they can trust her with the secret, and she has to say yes before she sees who it is, which I had some issues with that. But I also, to me, it felt like just a horrific thing to put it through that felt different to me from the Wesley experience. I don't know. Maybe it's not. Maybe it was it could have just been I, I, I bet if you broke it down fact by fact you could say it's not that different. But to me it felt very different and it felt sort of um cruel. And then the bigger issue for me is acting. So it's when you and they do this on many, many TV shows, is the characters have to pretend they have to be good actors. So you have actors pretending to be characters pretending to act, which is not my favorite thing. Right. And I guess w- what we're saying here is Pike is a really good actor. <laughs> right. And like really lucky them, it. lucky them that Pike happens to be really good at acting. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, this is, you probably shouldn't do this with Georgia because it brings up lots of questions like this room she's in, is it a simulation room or is any given part of a star base capable of turning into a simulator with steam and sparks and stuff? And does he do this with everyone? Right. Like, did he do, you know, yes. to, it raises... Or is there something about her? And if it's about her, were there questions about why she, you know, her d- divided loyalties? Because they were essentially testing her loyalty to Starfleet. Um, so, yeah, yeah. This this definitely doesn't pass the, uh, wait, what about test? But I still liked it very much. So, I don't know. What and are you going to do? Didn't he have something about, like, don't you want to punish the Tholians or get your revenge? I don't know. There was a lot of stuff that it just tonally felt a little off to me for those reasons. Although I, I liked the actress who was the cadet. Right. And we were, a lot of people were wondering whether we were going to see this actor as part of the announcement of cast for Strange New Worlds. And she wasn't there, but I still suspect we're going to see her show up in engineering um, in the first season of Strange New Worlds. I hope so. I'm, I believe she's a local Toronto actress, so that makes that part easier. We also saw, I mean, they don't have to stick with this, but we saw quotation marks around the word saw engineering where there was a virtual set um that was very elaborate i was all i was a little concerned about that because it it was so elaborate that they could never build it you know what i mean <laughs> yes <laughs> and so i'm kind of hoping they don't use it like i because i would like to see an engineering set and i hope they kind of pretend that that was some other part of engineering that, you know, they never visit or maybe they visit once in a while. But there is a practical engineering set that they could go into. And uh, that's what we'll see her in the future. Yeah, they're not going to be stuck to it because, again, they weren't they didn't know they were going to be doing a whole series at that point. Of course, going back to Q&A, 
they did establish that the Enterprise has the ridiculous roller coaster inside oh, of it. Yes. Um, which we'll probably see again. So, God, I wish they didn't do that. But they did. I think they love the roller coaster and they're going to keep it. Um, one other note about <laughs> Ask Not is that it was written by Kalinda Vasquez, who is now been hired to write the next Star Trek movie. This wasn't her first go, right? Because didn't she write something for season two? So this so. wasn't her tryout. This was more a bonus round for her. Yep. Uh, but it was a new composer. I think it was a new director. Um, so they were kind of sticking with, you know, new. And and it goes beyond those. Uh, for some of these people who were assistant editors get elevated to full-time editor and now are now full-time editors in season three. So Across the board, I think they're letting some of the second string people step up to the plate um, and take on more responsibility during these short treks, which is probably both practical and also gives them a chance to test these people out. Yeah, I was going to say it makes sense if your main people are busy on other stuff, but it's also a great way to see how these people are when they step up and Again, the whole idea of experimentation, I'm 100% behind. And whenever they make what I would call a misstep, I still think good for you for giving it a go. That's what they're for, these pieces. Now, the next one is animated, and they brought in this newcomer, this kid. They gave him a chance. This guy, I don't know how you pronounce his name, Michael Gikino? I don't know, never heard of him before. Um, You're silly. Anyway, obviously Oscar winner Michael Giacchino, composer of the three Star Trek movies and various Pixar, etc., was given. But he was given a first chance here because yeah. I think it was the first thing he's ever directed. He also wrote his own music, of course. Well, this yeah, is very once, ex- once he's there, very exper- very experimental. Um, well, the guys who wrote it. Anthony Marinville and Chris Silvestri had been, I think they'd initially maybe been writer's assistants early on on Discovery maybe, but then I, I, I could be wrong about that. But I feel like once, every time they wrote an episode, I really enjoyed it. This was quite different um, than everything we've seen. It was the first time the new group of, you know, for the Star Trek universe, they did animation since starting the animated series back in the 70s. Total Looney Tunes tribute. And different styles, you know, because it had that kind of 50s training film component, yeah. which was narrated by Kirk R. Thatcher, who played the punk in Star Trek Four. So he came back in a very different role. And he was Leonard Nimoy's assistant for a long time. So he has a strong yeah. connection to the franchise. And that's really the only dialogue. The rest of it's stole, told entirely through music. Yes. And animation of these two characters. It brings back a tardigrade, which was a major component of season one of Star Trek Discovery. A mama tardigrade. And the USS Enterprise. So this is kind of, although this is all Kirk's Enterprise as opposed to Pike's Enterprise. Um, same ship, obviously, but uh, it, it's uh, it's a character. The Enterprise is kind of a major character. And it takes us on a little history of the Enterprise. Um, with all, all sorts of fun stuff. I'm not sure, you know, people like that uh, doesn't all fit together. And, you know, I, I don't think we're, it's not supposed really to supposed to make it all fit together, but you know, you've got space Lincoln and con and rat the con, but it does wrap up with the ship. Um, the now refit ship as, uh, being destroyed in star Trek three. But the thing is, it's still, it's fun. It's silly. 
It's strange, but it's also beautiful. It's moving. It's very moving. Yeah. So, so I feel like the whole, first of all, it's, it's fun. I'm a huge Looney Tunes fan. So I really appreciate the tribute to the way that those looked and the way the music was such an important part of them. And, and the I, sound effects, very Looney Tunes. Yeah, the sound, sound effects. effects to everything. And then I felt, even as I'm watching this fun cartoon, I felt the anguish of Mama Tardigrade in a big way. Um, and then... And then at the end, I was sort of devastated and then so relieved and happy. And I, I really just, I think it's beautiful. I think they did a fantastic job. I think it works for kids of all ages. Yeah. So the two animated episodes, Ephraim and Dot um, and the girl who made the stars were actually released as a double bill. But they were very different kinds of animation. The girl who made the stars was made for kids of kids' ages, for sure. Um, I think explicitly, actually, it was directed by Tunde, and he's talked about how they wanted to make something for their own kids, kind of something that... It's like a fable. S- spoke to them. Yeah, it's a fable, but it's, it's... Part of me wonders, like, is this a sense of what may come in Prodigy, which is also meant for kids? So it's it's very simple story. It's kind of trite. In general, it's 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 okay, yeah, I didn't find it super compelling. I thought it was cute, but not compelling. But it's self-aware cute, you know? It's, yeah, it they might even say it's trying a little too hard. Yeah, it's overly earnest. Yes. Um, now, this is nicely tied into the opening narration of season two of Star Trek Discovery, which uh, Michael tells this kind of old um, African origin story of the universe, right? Um, and I guess this, the girl is supposed to be Michael and her father is telling her the story. So we're now seeing her as a little child learning this African fable. So played that's kind of nice. Played by Kenrick Green, who's Sonequa Martin-Green's husband, but also plays her dad on the show, which is a little odd. Weird. <laughs> <laughs> I remember feeling a little odd. And I also remember the animation on him being a little weird like reminding me of um polar express like yeah. just a little uncanny valley kind of weird right this is a different style of animation yeah. i wasn't necessarily a big fan of this um so i think this is another experiment it's fine um i think most fans gravitated much more to the other animated episode the Efferman dot and this is before lower decks you know so so this was their first time this production team was doing animation and i think they learned a lot doing these two yeah then the last episode was children of mars and this was like a week before season 1 of picard started this was explicitly tied to picard it was Kind of, you know, telegraphed that, you know, watch this and you'll now understand Picard more. It's written by the Picard team, you know, Kirsten and Jenny and uh, Kurtzman. Mark Pellington directed it, so he's back for that. Th- that makes sense because the style of this is kind of a music video, right? You know, so they, they, they use the David Bowie song. It's not the David Bowie version. No, it's a Peter Gabriel version, I think. But it's kind of 
shot as or at least the first half of it like a music video telling the story of these two girls who fight at school but have a connection with both of them have parents on mars sometimes there are moments of dialogue and then they go back into the more montagey musical kind of feel i'm sorry music video kind of feel not musical i don't know it's it's i I get what they were trying to do here they were trying to kind they were trying to explain things but not explain things but it just ends up being a little bit pretentious and unnecessary I ended up liking it a lot more on a rewatch. So the first time I watched it, I didn't love it. And I definitely didn't need the scene where the two girls were like really punching each other felt gratuitous, like really socking each other seemed weird just for Star Trek or whatever. But I also, I did find it emotionally moving in the end. It worked for me. And I did feel the, the horror of the attack and and yeah it's definitely over the top to say okay let's see the effect it had on the kids of people who are killed like hello tug on the heartstrings very obvious but it worked showing a child in distress it's just a cliche and it's manipulative and it is but it manipulated me how's that (laughs) right but I, i don't know i just i agree though but you know, again, I like that they're experimenting. I like that they jumped into the 24th century. Um, and we, you know, we saw Picard, a glimpse of Picard on the, if you're watching very closely, you could see him on the news monitors. So they, they tied it into the season. But this doesn't make watching Picard any better. But watching Picard makes this better. Yes. I think. Yes. I would <laughs> so, 100%. But that's not how that. it's supposed to work. It's supposed no, to work the but other it, way around. But it does and... work that way. And I would say that when they showed on the on the series what happened there with the attack, it didn't have the same poignance that it did in this short. Because they That's showed true. them being kind of crappy to the androids, right? Whatever they are. They, the yeah. synths. The synths. So they were they were treating them in a callous way that I think for a lot of Star Trek fans, you know, got their hackles up. Um, yeah, mine... they made it seem like they deserved it. Every every once yeah. in a while, they kill characters in these new Star Trek shows, but they make it feel like the character should die. You know, which and just, you should be happy it, about it. Yeah, which is weird. <laughs> right. And that should be the case for villains. You know, we wanted to see Osira die a lot. Um, you know, we wanted to see Leland. We wanted to see him die. Nerissa die oh, over yes. and over again. Um, but you know, those, those people working on Mars and, oh, what was that guy at, Connolly? at the beginning of Connor, Connolly, Connolly, yeah, Connolly. not Connor, yeah, Connor was a sweet yeah. pumpkin, but Connolly, right. He dies a lot too. <laughs> yeah. Well, he deserved to die in the mirror universe, but that's a whole other thing. But Connolly died because he was obnoxious and that's just yeah. not, I don't want to feel good about someone dying because they're obnoxious. So that's short treks that's kind of block two so what's your favorite i would of all of all of them all 10 it's a it's almost a tie between calypso and ephraim and dot but i'm gonna go with calypso how about you you know i'm the same way so i'll I'll just say ephraim and dot but (laughs) yeah those those two for sure 
are the best. I think most of the rest, you know, the I like the mud one a lot. I like Q and A a lot. I'd say that Ed, you know, the Edward's the only real bad one. The rest of them are all good or fine or, you know, in the middle. Um, but Edward's only Edward. If you detach yourself from Star Trek, Edward is entertaining. Right, if, that's the if thing. You, it's, if you've it's, never it's, watched it's, it, but you've heard of the Tribbles, and then you've only seen Star Trek peripherally, it's going to be great for you. It's actually specifically made, I think, for a non-Star Trek fan. But that that's the problem, is it doesn't work as an introduction, because if you watched that and you liked it, and then you watched... Anything else. Star Trek Discovery, or even it, Strange New Worlds... Or even like, the Trouble with Tribbles. Anything. Yeah, it's like... <laughs> No, this yeah. doesn't. Yeah, so it doesn't work for that. Um, so I mean, I the thing is, I don't think of so zooming out. I don't think of short treks. It's hard to think of it as a series because it is so varied, which is kind of the point, right? And it's an anthology series. It's an yeah, but even even within the fact that it's an anthology series, they are willing to branch around so much. It's you know, the, there is a rhythm to the Twilight Zone, right? So it's an anthology right. series, but there's they're, they're kind of there's a Twilight Zone feel. Whereas these just they don't they don't try to go for the same feel. They're different lengths, they're different tones, they're different styles. Which, which is what is I good. particularly yeah, what I really like about it is that they do take risks and they try different. They're trying different genres. They're trying different people. So I I think it's admirable, and I think it's pretty rare in the industry, to be honest. Yeah. So I give them a lot of credit for that. Absolutely. You know, just on a side note on this experimentation, they may have ended up there eventually, but we do have short treks to thank for Star Trek Picard because Star Trek Picard began as a kernel of a different idea when they were developing the first season of Short Treks. Do you know the story? They 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 wanted to bring Nichelle Nichols in and have her meet a young Jean-Luc Picard. Oh yeah. This was before it was known how, you know, her health condition. Um so it would be kind of an older Uhura, a young Picard and they were, you know, meet together. Um, it might have been a little bit like the Q&A, right? Um, and they were like, it would be a younger actor, but they thought, well, but maybe we can bring in Patrick just at the end where it would jump forward in time just for a moment. And then they thought, well, you know, if we bring Patrick in for that, why don't we just try to get him for a whole episode? And then, oh, wait, why don't we try to get him for a whole series? And then they, and then off they went. So to woo him. Exactly. <laughs> but that shows you how far afield they were thinking because there's really not a connection to discovery for that. Right. right. Um, that's a whole off the wall idea to have. It's really a next generation original series bridge, um, which is a great idea, I think. Um, so I like the fact that they really were blue skying this thing and i and i would guess that it informed some of their creative work on the other shows it probably expanded the possibilities of what they thought that they could do 
I think, you know, we've kind of covered what has existed. So let's talk about the future of short tracks. As of now, there is no official future. I kind of think in CBS All Access, now Paramount Plus's mind, they, you know, kind of been there, done that. We did the experimenting. We filled in the gaps. We're now moving on to a new Star Trek show every quarter, a new season of something. And we kind of don't need this anymore because you've done your experimenting and you've done your gap filling. And now let's do series. But Alex still wants to do it. So the question is, how do you make it work with Paramount Plus's drive to have, I I would imagine, more significant chunks of Star Trek show up? Right. Um, I I mean, 12 minutes a month is not going to cut it. Although right now we'd kill for 12 minutes a month. Yep. I was going to say, now's (laughs) a great time. Bring it on. Yeah, I mean, now, I mean, they... I was thinking, God, maybe if they could have, you know, they would have had to have been doing this less. If they could have done something over Zoom or something, they certainly could have done something animated, maybe. Um, but because uh, we could really use some content now. Well, and they could have done some experimental thing where it's all on, you know, com channels. So that's how they could have done a fun Zoom one. Like you could have a, a great way to be creative would be as if it was yeah. all just people talking to each other from different <laughs> places. I mean, there, and that's the thing is it's that kind of thinking that I like. And so I, I fervently hope that they find a reason to justify the expense of doing more. And what, what Alex has talked about where if he gets a chance to do it again, he wants to do even more sper- experimentation. He wants to do black and white. He wants to do a musical, a, musical. a real musical. Yeah. They have all these singers and dancers in their group. So among the, on the cast. So do it. And when you hear black and white, you also hear Robbie McNeil saying, Oh, you know, what about my captain proton thing? So, you know, he, he wants to do short tracks. Um, Freak said he wanted to direct a musical short tracks. Yeah. So in that, your interview with him. That's right. Yeah. Um, here's how I think what I don't think works is to say we're now going to do a season of short treks. And that's going to be you know, this quarter of, of this year is going to be a short treks quarter. I think the way they could do short treks in the future is to do them periodically and almost randomly. Like Right before a, a new season of a new show shows up, they do a just one short track, and it's tied into that season of that show, kind of like Children of Mars, but hopefully better. Um, but uh, so when they're about to start season uh, one of Strange New Worlds, maybe we get a short track uh, a week or a month before to kind of, you know, and have it be something tied into that season, maybe. But I would hope very peripherally tied in because I right. like it when they stray and get to play, get very playful. I prefer that. But I, I kind of like this idea of maybe four episodes, five, six episodes a year spread throughout the year tied to various things, maybe, maybe peripherally, you know, so let's say they do an episode and then they do a short trek that just comes out between episode six and seven of a given series that gives you a backstory on an interesting character that was introduced in episode six. Right. And you don't need to watch it, um, but it's just kind of there. And um, 
and the, and then eventually they'll build up enough of them so that you can put another season of them out on Blu-ray. Um, but that the, the, they aren't a thing where it's like we're now going to do short tricks for three months. It's more they're kind of just mixed in with everything else, and they're tied to all the shows. I like the idea of of side characters getting a moment, or even a character who's almost who barely is there in the series, but gets a whole short trick for backstory. But I also think they could fill in some of the histories of some of our main characters in an interesting and fun way. Sure. Like, you know, if you want to tie into Picard, you could do a whole Rios thing. I mean, but although I kind of like, for example, with when they do the seven backstory that they shouldn't shunt that off to a short, they should give her an episode. Well, I agree. And, and, and I also think in Picard, those characters are new enough that I would rather do the exploration on the show. I was actually thinking of our discovery characters and the things, because we've seen them grow so much. I think there are certain backstory pieces that I would find interesting that you could do in a short, you know, I'd love to see Saru at Starfleet Academy. I'd love to see Culber and Stamets meeting for the first time. We've had that described to us, but I'd like to, there's a, there's a there's a comic book about that, but yeah, that, that is, yeah, or we could see stuff from Michael's gap year, which is also going to be a book. Yeah. Or maybe stuff about book before Michael showed up. Yeah, you know, th- there's a lot of opportunities for that kind of I'd love to see a, you know, a whole episode with just the Rios holograms, you know, where they go on an adventure together. Rios is actually not on the ship maybe. So th- or there him, are all- him building them would be funny. Also, him making them yeah. and tweaking them, and my, maybe he makes them all, and then they're too much the same, and that's why he ends up having to make them all, give them all different accents and things, because he realizes I'm getting them all mixed up. I don't know. There are a lot of, there are a lot of options there. And I, 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 I hope they don't give up on this bridge of TOS and TNG because you could do it with Takei, right? You could do it with Walter. Yeah. Um. Uh, well, you can do it with Shatner, but you know he's going to ask for so much yeah, money. You, you might as well do, do a miniseries. Um, How about but, a yeah. Jet Reno short trek would be fantastic. Oh yeah, God, amazing. Um, but I guess what I'm saying is, we're, you know, we there. I like the idea of doing tie-ins to each show, but I also like the idea of doing tie-ins to old shows that maybe there's also a link to the new show, but it's tying into TNG or TOS or voyager um enterprise any of them and um you know and just go crazy you know let's do live action lower decks let's do animated strange new worlds yeah you know let's let's have some fun let's go for some audiences we aren't going for you could do a very funny and we talked about this i think a long time ago on one of our podcasts but if you animated the strange new worlds character and did a cross characters and did a crossover with lower decks there's there are crossover opportunities that could be a lot of fun and they joked about that on a panel you know but it's kind of hard to tell you know how how much they were joking and not joking but i i think yeah that's why we even if they were joking let's do it so i don't want them to give up on short treks um and say well there's no real reason to just do a season of short treks i think that's true now that they've got so many shows going they got five shows going that there's really no need to do a mini season of short treks but i don't want them to give up on the idea entirely and the way to do it is to just kind of still do them once in a while and don't feel locked into this notion of let's do a season of short tricks. It's like, let's just do one. That'll help keep it creative too. I think. Yeah. 
keep the spirit yep. of creativity. I just realized there are two characters from Picard I would very much like to see a short tracks about. His Romulan friends on his estate. Oh, God. I love yeah. them. I know they were yeah. in a comic and they were actually read that one. Um, I know they turn up, but I just, I think it would be fantastic to see them and any part of their history together. But ideally, I'd love to see ha- them arriving on Earth for the first time and adjusting to vineyard life while also being crazy super spies. Yeah. You know, what about a Kovic one, you know, or yes. him him with the, that the, the weird <sighs> character from the uh, Kelvin timeline, you know, that that whole thing. Yeah. There's all sorts of interesting characters that they've created on these shows, which is great. And many, many that creates more opportunities for short treks. So don't abandon short treks is the message to Paramount Plus. But maybe don't do big blocks of them. Just kind of, yeah. and it'd be fun if they're just like almost surprised, like, "Hey, surprise! We got a short track." That's not how they roll in general, but that would be fun to just say, "Oh, you know, here's the short track. We didn't tell you it was coming, but there it is." I'm know? gonna and, just and... secretly hope they're doing that, even though I don't see how they could possibly have managed it. Yeah, <laughs> given there's the, no way the volume of shows that they're churning out and that they all need development. Okay, so we did a very long episode discussion on a very short series of short tracks. <laughs> as always. <laughs> uh, so um, let's wrap things up as fast as we can with our Trek Bits of the Week. Why don't you start us off? Mine is this very... I have to put the link up because I don't even know that much about what it is. But it's basically a gigantic Star Trek behind-the-scenes photo dump. And the person who put it together says, Because I obsessively save every picture I like for fear I'll never see it again, and because I'm bored, I bring you a massive Star Trek behind-the-scenes pic spam. And it is photos, behind-the-scenes photos from the JJ movies, from the original series. There's some TNG. There's a lot of original series movie stuff in there and there are no captions so you're not going to get any information on when the photos were taken or who's in them when it's not necessarily the stars but it's a great mix of very familiar behind the scenes photos and some that i've never seen before and i yeah i was it's just such a pleasure you just basically scroll through it and feast (laughs) it's a lot of fun a lot of the the original series behind the scenes are great because it's great seeing Nimoy laughing and having fun. And, you know, and I, I really enjoyed it. So, uh, you know, and it's a good perusal for any Star Trek fan, even though you're kind of wanting captions, like who's that guy? I know. Um, I really, really want captions, but I'm so happy for all these very random shots from across the franchise. So my bit is a couple pieces of local news. I love when Star Trek interacts with politics. One comes from Florida. There's a Florida state senator is concerned about the power of the governor being able to issue certain types of executive orders. And so he wants there to be this commission that has to oversee it. And here's, here's how he justifies it. He goes... It took three officers to blow up the Star Trek Enterprise. So he wants to create this Star Trek, you know, the the local news is calling the Star Trek rule um, so that it takes multiple people to authorize certain actions. 
instead of executive orders. And I just think that's hilarious. Um, As I recall, the destruction of the Enterprise with the three people took about 20 minutes. That's what it felt like. I mean, it probably wasn't, but it just felt like, wow, good thing they're not in a rush. (laughs) And the second one comes from Iowa. So there was a debate about a new law. There was a couple of representatives debating this bill, one of whom was kind of saying that it's unnecessary. And so he said he his quote was a difference which makes no difference is no difference, Um, which is a famous quote by a philosopher named Alfred Korbieski. But it's also quoted in a number of Star Trek novels, and it's referred to as McCoy's paradox. Right. (laughs) So this is the first representative. Then 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 there's a, a debate comes where the guy who opposes this thing the guy who's for the bill, right? Um, his argument for the bill, he actually says the needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few. And he uses that to uh, kind of as his argument. And then he says, uh, my mission has been to explore government operations, to seek out new data and new information, <laughs> to boldly go where no oversight has gone before in my trek for transparency. Again, this is on the record in the Iowa State Senate um, where there's two different guys citing Star Trek to each other arguing over a bill. I mean, that's just beautiful. That's the only way to get me super interested in politics right now. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I'm relieved to not be paying so much attention to it. We've had Star Trek cited in the legislatures of Florida, Iowa, and New Mexico. So... So it's fun stuff for political nerds and Star Trek nerds. Love it. Okay. That's it for this not so short discussion on short treks and news of the week for all access Star Trek. Now you want to come back next Friday as you do every Friday, but next Friday is going to be a special episode where we'll break down everything coming out of first contact day and all the news and the fun stuff. And we're thinking, especially for people who've been curious about Prodigy, next week will be a big week. So see you then. Thanks for coming. And please come to the site and leave us comments and let us know what you like, what you don't like, and other topics that you'd like us to cover and people you'd like us to talk to. Bye-bye. Bye.